0: Hey, everyone. It's Tom Kradza. And this is a really important episode for a few reasons. Nick and I sit down on this episode with the co-founder of in Maurizio Di Bartolo Mayo. I hope I pronounced that name okay. And it, it's it's fascinating for a whole bunch of reasons. First, you know, the first part of this episode, maybe the first 30 minutes, 35 minutes or so, he goes through his story. Maurizio, you know, grew up in Venezuela, came to Canada, went to the University of Western for a business degree and then he started this financial institution in Toronto, it's a Canadian based company. And what these guys do is they offer bank accounts, like lending accounts with actual interest on things like Bitcoin and USDC. So that's a US dollar stable coin. And the interest rates are just like astronomical. It's like 6% on Bitcoin, like 12.5% on, on USDC. And you know whether you agree with buying some of this stuff, Bitcoin or not Bitcoin, I think we all have to acknowledge there's a lot of changes happening right in front of our eyes. And we strongly believe that to live life on your terms, you need to be aware of these changes. And that's what we're trying to do our best here is to educate ourselves and to share some of that information. So that's why we're so pumped to bring on someone like Maurizio to share his story. And when you hear his story of what they've gone through in Venezuela and why he chose to leave, what his family went through, you know, how they how there was basically a black market for U.S. dollars and what they went through in trading U.S. dollars. I mean, that's very educational when it comes to anyone who's thinking they might try to ban Bitcoin in different countries. It's just just hearing that whole story, and it's in and of itself is educational, never mind some of the stuff that he's doing with Ledin. But I think there's a bigger, broader thing going on here. You know, if, if you've read The Sovereign Individual, which is a book that we really like, we've shared it around. I think I, I think I cleaned out Amazon.ca of their last few copies and Indigo. So if you're trying to get a copy that we might be the guilty people who bought all those copies, I'm sure they'll replenish them soon. Um, but if you haven't read that book, it's, it was written 20 years ago, and it really just outlined some of the trends that these authors thought would emerge over the information age as they were calling it and they've really called a lot of things really accurately especially around social media and this idea of like an electronic cash or an e-cash they were referring to and when you look at bitcoin today it kind of relates directly to what they were talking about for that e-cash system that they thought would evolve on the internet so Just the the idea that nation-states could come under pressure from sovereign individuals is just fascinating. Whether you agree with it or not, it's just a fascinating book. And then there's books like The Fourth Turning that call for major economic cycle changes every 80, 100 years, and even greater ones every, you know, 500 years or or so. And when you read that book, and we're right about that point in economic history of that 80 to 100-year cycle change, and we're in that fourth turning moment, and you look around at what's happening in the world— it gives you a lot of context for making sense of some of the madness out there. So I think bringing Maurizio on here, you know, to us, it's it's almost like we're seeing the birth of a brand new financial system in some areas that just didn't even exist a few years ago. So we're just really excited to be able to share his message and then to share what Ledin's doing, you know, to give actual interest like 6% on Bitcoin, I think it is, and 12% on, on, on uh, USDC. It's just, interesting to learn about these things and then some of the risks and some of the options that we have in this whole world that we all need to educate ourselves on and Nick and I I think almost wish that we did this episode again so we'll have to bring him on again because we've learned so much in the few days that have passed since we recorded this episode. We have, I think, much better questions to ask Maurizio around security and some of the things that they're doing and just some of the things to think about in this space. So we'll likely ask to bring him back on again shortly so we can dive even deeper into this. So treat this first episode with him as a bit of a primer, you know, just an introduction to him and his story and what Ledin is doing. The URL for Ledin is ledn.io. If you want to check them out, check them out, ledn.io. So really, this is just an attempt to bring some of this information to more of us so that we can all learn about the space. And again, not so that you jump into it, but just to be aware of of what's happening. If you choose to go down this path in this rabbit hole, then at least you know what's out there. So long introduction, and, and let me just end off with this. This is not any sort of financial advice, this episode specifically. You know, we're not advising anyone to do something. It's purely educational. Hopefully it's a bit of entertainment as well. Um, But you got to do your own due diligence. Don't trust myself. Don't trust Nick. Don't trust anybody. Always do your own research. Never trust anything that you're hearing from us on this podcast. Always, you know, do your own research before you dive into anything. I think that's super important. It gives you the confidence and conviction to stay with things longer as well. And so if you are listening to this and you do want some information from us specifically, we have a brand new app that you can get at ylytapp.com. And that app's available for iPhones and Androids. And it's one place where you can get all these podcast episodes. We put out a new Rockstar Minutes episode last week where we talk about is inflation hiding in the shadows here in Canada and about to kind of come out with a vengeance or not. So we have a, a new Rockstar Minutes episode. You can get access to all those there as well. You can access to all our reports, all our digital copies of our books on that app as well. So if you want a copy of the Your Life, Your Terms app, a copy, copy. If you want the the app, you can go to ylytapp.com. There'll be a link and a QR code there that you can get access to it directly. That's ylytapp.com. So that is available now. We're always updating it and putting new stuff on there so you can check that out. That's enough for this intro. Let's get on with the show.
1: Are you ready to live life on your terms? Okay, we
0: are live with Maurizio, who was one of the co-founders of Ledin.io. Maurizio, I'm not even going to try and say your last name. Can you please say your last name for us?
2: Yes, Diego Bartolomeo.
0: Oh Tom, I want like to hear you say that. <laughs> I would. I need to be able to say that. So uh, we totally appreciate you doing. We we're just saying before we started recording, we have a lot of people who are very interested in what you have to say and what Ledin is doing, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, just seeing how busy you were to get set up for this uh, podcast, we totally appreciate it. So thank
2: you. No, no problem. It's it's a it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's it's great to. Um, to, to know that there are so many people interested in in, in what we're doing and, and what we have to say you know we, we we've been doing this for three years uh when we got started people thought we were crazy uh so it's it's definitely uh, refreshing and, and great to see you know people kind of waking up to to what it is that we do the the sort of val- the opportunity that it creates for people to to get to, to, to really grow their wealth uh so more than very very happy to kind of explain uh and go through what we offer and, and what you can do with LEDIN.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so I do, I'm dying to ask you about that. Trust me, but I need to hear a bit about your story because you're from Venezuela. So how do you go from (laughs) Venezuela? You get the, the, you just said you have a PhD in inflation because you lived in Venezuela, (laughs) but then you come to your You're in Canada doing this. Tell us a little bit about this journey.
2: Definitely. Yeah. It's a figurative PhD on inflation just because I grew up around it. Uh, so that, you know, to to be repetitive for a second, um, I was born and raised in in Venezuela. I was born in a small city called Barquisimeto, four hours, uh, east of caracas which is the capital it's a it's a small town but i guess the 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 important part is that growing up uh, i had this infatuation or i became obsessed with money and the monetary system because uh, growing up in venezuela you you grew up basically with with prices going up perpetually for things um, a system where the government is very inefficient and does not collect taxes and so to me, it was it started out as a, as a question of me wanting to understand how a government that does not collect any taxes uh, is able to sustain itself, uh, and because I it, I didn't make sense, I was like, well, where is the money coming from? Uh, and so that was really an obsession for me, uh, and and I got really interested in getting to know how money works. And uh, after a lot of research and a lot of studying, you basically come to the realization that. When the money, when the government doesn't have money, it just prints it. Um, And when you print money, what you're really doing is you're doing a a wealth transfer from people that don't have assets to the people that have assets. Uh, And it's basically a a very large tax on the wealth because when you print and you elevate the money supply, you are essentially skyrocketing the prices of assets. And if if you're giving somebody a handout and that person doesn't have any assets, Well, that handout is programmatically designed to worth less and less by the sheer virtue of the stimulus you're giving them. Um, However, that same action causes asset prices to rise. This is exactly what we're seeing happen in the United States. Um, Asset prices are through the roof. Mainstream inflation is nowhere to be found. And uh, what this creates is essentially a massive expansion of the wealth gap.
0: It, you know what, it, it, hearing you talk about it and lived it and then having to study it, it seems weird because in Canada, we can just type t- talk about that kind of thing, you know, through theory or, or reading about Venezuela. And I think it seems very foreign to many of us. So It's happening ta- today.
2: It's, it's happening today right here. Like how many normal Canadians, th- so you guys know this well, an average home in Toronto and Vancouver makes more money than the people living in it. Like that's, that's actually a stat. So, so what that tells me is homes are getting farther and farther away from people that don't own property because it's harder and harder, increasingly, to do the down payment, and the people that have the homes and have the second and the third and the fourth homes, well, their balance sheets are just, uh, and so it, it what this essentially it creates a huge divide in the asset holders and the non-asset holders. Now, when you play out when you play this out at the at the you know at the early stages. You know, it looks like it's you know, very wealthy people trying to chase, to basically protecting their world because they get the system. So they know where to go to hedge themselves from inflation. It's the people that don't have this. And historically, and this is why we are so excited about Bitcoin, historically, most assets that were desirable that would be able to shelter their value had incredibly high price tags. Like a home is an incredibly high price tag. Equity, like equity stocks are viable in North America and Europe. <laughs> like no, no other stock markets give the same assurances to their, to their constituents. Like Venezuelan people don't own stocks in the Venezuela stock exchange. Colombia people don't own stock in Colombia. It's like same in Brazil. It, you name it. So until Bitcoin, um, your options were holding dollars was the kind of best you could do but the dollar itself was designed to get weaker over time as well so but we just didn't think it would happen this fast so um what's happening right now is what bitcoin has provided is people all over the world with a vehicle to essentially store their wealth and protect themselves from inflation
1: for those for when you were in uh venezuela And when, during those inflationary times, how did the black market, was there, I guess, the black market with the US dollar there? And I think, and and how did that kind of operate? Because I think for a lot of people in Canada that maybe have only, like haven't been exposed to that, they just don't get, they've never seen that. So they don't realize how things can change and how your lifestyle has to change accordingly when that type of stuff happens.
2: Yeah. So what, what tends, what typically happens, right? What typically happens in these, in these situations, and uh, I'll I'll speak for my own experiences, but um, government comes in uh, with a crazy plan that. Like 1.9
1: trillion of stimulus. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, let's, let's not even go that far. Let's go Chavez. Right. I come in and I say, I want to rewrite the constitution. I'm going to change the name of the country, change the time zone, change the flag. These are all facts. And. You know, naturally, the people that are and it's basically setting the country up in, in the rails towards communism, like just one direction. Sure. And so uh, when, when you look at that as, an, as, a, as a person that has worked their li- entire lives and has their life savings uh, in a Venezuelan asset like property, and you're seeing farms and buildings get expropriated on TV, like by Chavez saying, Who, who's in that building? That used to belong to Simón Bolívar's uncle, expropriated, expropriated, and that's how pe- that's how things were getting expropriated in Venezuela. So people look at this naturally, and they freak, and they say, "I'm not my entire life's work can get expropriated like that." And so what starts happening is people say, "Okay, uh, I'm going to sell this and park it away from your hands." Right. So they would say, I'm going to list my farm for sale. I want to get the do- Bolivarist. I'm going to convert them into dollars and I'm going to send them to Florida. Okay. Now the government says, um, wait, wait, wait a second, guys. Like, why are you guys buying so many dollars? Why, why don't you want to hold our hot potato? Bolivarist that, that we're giving you. And the investors are like, because we don't want to. We don't trust your plan. We don't like your plan, frankly. Uh, and so the government says, too bad, so sad. You can't buy dollars. And, uh, and so what does the economy do in those situations more times than not, well, you can't control that you can't you can't control a person's desire to hold dollars, you can try to make them very difficult. But you can't stop them. So what ends up happening is you sold your farm, you got 100,000 worth $100,000 worth of equivalent boliures. Um, The government won't sell you dollars, right, but you happen to, because you're wealthy, you have a bank account in Bank of America, let's say. And so Miguel, your neighbor, uh, you know, happens to have a need to get bolivares because he needs to pay something else. And so you say, Miguel, I will transfer you these bolivares if you transfer me your dollars from your Wells Fargo account to my Bank of America account. And we create a trade. That is what we be, what we be considered the black market.
1: And, uh, is, I, just
0: just hearing that just hear like yeah. how sheltered if you're born in this country how sheltered are you like think about what Maurizio is just saying there that's just crazy if you're born and raised in Canada
1: well you always have seen Canada we don't have to play the game right you don't have to always well, we, we're having
0: but we're having to play to, the game right yeah, now. I I haven't had what, to. yeah we, we have, haven't but had we're, to.
1: we're, we're, but we're right. having to right about now whereas there you have but you, it was daily you had to be like you have to be on your toes which is kind of like it is now, but you know, so it was so it was moving so quickly, right? And that that's the crazy part. So you got into Bitcoin when? How long have you been here for?
2: So I came to Canada uh, when I so when Chavez came into Venezuela in night uh, in two thousand uh, he came into Venezuela. Um, my family, along with others, decided to make the effort to spend some time outside of Venezuela uh, for a few years. So we went to Miami, like a lot of Venezuelan families did at the time. Uh, spent a couple of years there. But while there, it was very difficult for my dad to manage his business remotely. Uh, obviously the Venezuelan legal system and all these things that don't work the same. Um, it wasn't, it was 20 years ago. So there was not as many remote work tools around. So it was very difficult. And he was having a hard time basically managing his business from abroad. And uh, my family, we didn't want to get basically separated. So we made the decision to go back to Venezuela after the two years in Florida. Um, I, was, I was basically in my graduating year Uh, So this was 2002 in in Venezuela, and so in Venezuela you finish high school in in, uh, grade uh, 11. And so uh, when I finished, I had really enjoyed my experience in Miami, and I kind of had an inkling that Venezuela wasn't really going to head down the right direction, and it perhaps wouldn't be the passing Chavez wouldn't be this passing thing that people thought it would be. So I really wanted to go back to North America for school, Uh, and I happened to have a relative here in Toronto um, that my dad knew really well. And he said, you know, instead of trying to go for school in Miami, why don't you go try check out Canada, uh, and see if you like it there. So I came to Canada, I, uh, applied for, a, you know, I went to the, you know, a bunch of universities tried to apply for my role and they said, for my, for my degree. And they said that this year is the double cohort year. Uh, so we, we have oh, two yeah. years, oh, we have yeah. two years graduating this year. So better luck next time, go back. And so I'm like, okay, thank you. Um, he's and they basically said the only way you would do this is if you did a year of high school in Canada and you somehow beat the Canadian kids to get into school in this double cohort year. And and I'm like, okay, well, if if you guys put it that way, it doesn't seem like you guys want me that bad. So uh, I'm just gonna pack up my stuff and go. Uh, and so as I was packing up my stuff, uh, there was I forget exactly what it is that broke out in Venezuela, but like. Military took the streets, like things got really nasty. There was a massive protest. And so my dad calls me up that night and he goes, listen, man, you know, I know you haven't really enjoyed your experience in in those universities that you visited so far, but you you can't come back. (laughs) He's like, like, honestly, like, don't come back. And so do whatever you need, but you need to stay. And so, so I'm like, you know, not the happiest uh, at that, at that time. I'm like, well, I guess I have to, I have to stick with it. And so serendipitously, the next morning I woke up, the, the building that I was staying at, at my, at my aunt's place, had a, happened to have a high school in front of it. And so uh, I, I said, you know what, you know, you know, these things don't typically happen for no reason. So I crossed the street uh, and it was sometime in September, or I think early October, it was like the year had already started, but this school was amazing. It's actually the York school in Toronto. And, uh, and, and I was able to do my grade 11 uh, and from there I was able to, I did get into university um, and I essentially got into the Ivy program at Western, which to me is, is a, a, a program that I have a great deal of admiration for. And, and I not easy so.
0: to get into either. So you did well. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's not not easy to get into. Yeah. And so that's where I met Adam uh, who became my best friend and is now co-founder of Lennon. uh, I Also Ken, uh, another member of our team. So there's uh, a lot of our team today actually comes from having gone to university uh, at Western. And so um, Adam and I stayed in touch after school. Um, We Obviously, we were very good friends. So I I took a a job actually doing sales and marketing at a real estate developer in Toronto uh, for a few years. And my dad kept trying to pull me back to Venezuela because now oil had been rallying and there was a lot of good business opportunities down there. So he was always trying to get me to go work with him. I was always trying to get them to understand that. was just a passing thing and that they should be leaving venezuela so there was this tug of war you know i would spend i went there to do a couple projects with him and uh so and then and then chavez dies so chavez dies in 2013. and venezuela's the entire Venezuelan population was like okay we've done we're we're done this nightmare like let's go into a fair election let's let's forget about this guy and all the damage he did let's get a new person in place so many Venezuelans got very excited. I flew down along with many expats. It was—I still remember the planes ride in, the plane rides into Venezuela. Like everybody had their like hats on for like their their, their you know the the uh, not dictatorial political party. I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, so I land in Venezuela. I land in Venezuela. Uh, election happens. Uh, the the communist party, for lack of a better word, essentially steals the election uh and and like like very flagrantly steals the election um and so the the collective sigh in venezuela that day i still remember it and i still remember the plane ride out uh it was devastating um and and that's when a lot of venezuela so that kicked off the sort of massive exodus wave in venezuela uh when people essentially saw that happen and that's when people started like leaving anywhere they could like They started putting listing things for sale, so the inflation starts just skyrocketing. Uh, Nobody's businesses start shutting down in mass, and uh, and along and and right around this time, uh, I'm I'm the older of three brothers. My youngest brother graduates university, and back then, my dad. The way we had set it up was that my dad was very entrepreneurial guy. So every time one of us graduated school, he's like you know, pitch me and I'll do a little seat check if I like your idea. So you can go take your stab at your first thing, right? So I had pitched and I had done my thing and it didn't go so well. My brother had pitched, he'd done his thing and he's actually, he was doing okay, my middle brother. And now it was my youngest brother's turn but it was a different Venezuela, like completely different. And uh, he didn't want to leave. But my dad didn't want to actually enable a business that would force him to stay because he really kind of wanted him to keep his options open and leave. So my brother starts pitching us on these ideas. And, uh, and a lot of them were like, you know, too, too risky, too risky, too risky. Eventually, he pitches us on this thing called mining Bitcoin. And, uh, and this was, I think it was mid or early 2014. And my dad sends me this thing because I'd gone to business school. And he's like, you know, you're the finance guy. You know, what does this look like to you? And that's when I first read about Bitcoin. And I'm like... Wow. I mean, my first impression was sounds interesting, Uh, perhaps a little too good to be true. But when I started understanding what mining was, how it interacted with the network, it was pretty much a necessity for the Bitcoin network to run. And And then I saw the biggest input cost being electricity, which was highly subsidized in Venezuela. And I saw there was a market for Bitcoin everywhere in the world. So I'm like, this seems out of the stuff he's pitched, like this seems like probably the best thing. Right? Because it seems like it's kind of global. You can do it here, but then move elsewhere if it goes well. So, you know, let's, let's let him run. And so he gets his electricity check. He gets his first mining machines. And uh, I'm still in Canada while this is happening. So I fly back to Venezuela for Christmas later that year. And I'm like talking to all my friends. All my friends are like depressed. Their dad's business are shutting down, you know, all this stuff, like planning to leave. Like, where are you going? And where are you going? Are the conversations, right? And, uh, and then my brother just walks in, like smile ear to ear. Like, he's just like, he's the happiest kid on the block. And I'm like, what, I guess, you know, how's it going? Like, tell me a little more about your machines. And he's like, come check them out. And he had double the machines. And, uh, and I'm like, what what do you so i went to my dad actually before i even confronted him because i'm like dad did you did this thing go badly and you just like brought him a check for more machines like what's going on and he's like no he repaid me like that's all him and i'm like okay so i go to my, my brother and i'm like what are you really doing you know like <laughs> uh and, and he's like let me show you uh and so it's like, do you have it? Can you give me your Banesco bank account, which is my bank Venezuela back then? And I'm like, here, here's my Banesco bank account. He's like, I'm gonna sell this Bitcoin here right now on this exchange, and you're gonna get the bolivares hitting your account within the next two hours. Okay, uh, I'm just gonna show you that you can sell Bitcoin into real bolivares. And I'm like, okay, show me. And he goes, click, and then within the hour, boom, I had the bolivares in my bank account. And that's when like all the light bulbs went off to me for me. I was just like, Brr. I'm like, what am I missing? Like, what is this? So I essentially stopped everything I was doing and went through the proverbial rabbit hole that everybody is now well familiar with. Um, sorry, sorry, I'm talking a lot. No, <laughs> no, no, no. This story.
0: It's a great story. Keep going. Keep going.
2: Um, so, so I'm you know, deep into the rabbit hole and I have to catch my plane to Toronto. And I'm like, but I don't want to go to Toronto. <laughs> I, I don't have free power there. Like, what am I gonna do? I can't mind the way they are. I can't, I can't do the same things they're doing. But I could research, I could read, I could talk to people here that were into this scene. Um, my wife got really mad about me talking about Bitcoin and she's like, go talk to someone else about it. And uh, and so I, I ended up going to I some think everybody's up.
0: wife goes through that moment, right? Can you just stop talking yeah. about Bitcoin? <laughs>
2: Uh, and she goes, why don't you go to some meetups, right? And, and so I started going to some meetups and it just so happened that Ethereum was being developed in Toronto. And, and Vitalik and Ethan and all those guys were like giving the presentations at UFT rooms for free. And so I started going to these meetups and asking them about mining and mining Ethereum and how Ethereum works and start connecting the dots. I'm like, brilliant people in Toronto are spending time developing technology, amazing guys in Venezuela buying infrastructure and building security, like infrastructure that secures the network. The people that are making those machines are in China. Uh, There's huge interest of this in like Russia and Europe. And I'm like, okay, this is like, this is a global thing. Uh, And so for mining, then we started helping a lot of people mine because that's what we knew how to do. So we were like, let me get you, let me help you get set up. And so Venezuelans were like calling us nonstop to like help them get one miner, put it in their house because a miner back then was making like three to 400 bucks a month that that was 10 times the salary in venezuela and so
0: and was uh, the energy input cost in venezuela subsidized so it was just cheap energy
2: for you guys tremendously yeah the government subsidizes a lot of things that's why they stay in power um so but essentially people found a way to take this subsidy and use it to their advantage to escape this treacherous monetary policy regime that they were under and we start helping people how to mine, how to mine, how to mine, how to mine. And then people start kind of coming to us and being like, hey, guys, you know, man, if I would just be able to, to hold on to that Bitcoin that I that I sold to pay for my miner that takes six months to arrive, you know, the opportunity cost of selling Bitcoin to buy anything back then was just so high, like it was just not worth it. You, you 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 it was so as a Bitcoin business, it was really frustrating because the only way to grow was to sell your profits in Bitcoin. And when you did that, that costed you more. Like if you would have just held on to the Bitcoin, you would almost make more money than the business itself. So it was really, you had to be able to do both. You had to be able to maintain ownership of your Bitcoin and reinvest into your business. That was happening for miners, exchanges, brokerages, you name it. Anybody that had Bitcoin profits or revenue and had fiat expenses, they wanted to fuel growth, was in the same predicament. So at this point, I'm in Canada now. I've helped build a lot of mines around Venezuela and some in the U.S. And I'm in Toronto, and I start trying to basically uh, get Adam excited about Bitcoin. So I'm like Adam, uh, and the reason I did that because Adam had spent like the last ten years of his life financing renewable energy infrastructure in Canada, so he knew where cheap power was. So he was my energy friend. So I was like Adam, you know, where is the cheapest power in the world? And he goes, Quebec. and so, and so I'm like, okay, that's close enough. I'm like, you know, we start running some numbers. We're like, let's build a demo mine in Canada and essentially show investors what this can do. And then we can build a bigger mine. So as we're building the mine, we're, we're running through the same issue. We're like, man, like the big problem is not the mine or the infrastructure. The big problem here is financing your Bitcoin. And, uh, and we both came from, you know, structured finance backgrounds, we kind of knew what it took to talk to a pension fund, et cetera, to finance energy structure deals. And I knew how to communicate to Bitcoiners why not, why they shouldn't sell their Bitcoin, especially in light of this new existing product, if we ever created it. So we said, okay, what do we need to build this? We need a great team. Like we need a team of people. We need a CTO, we need legals, we need compliance. Uh, and uh, and so CTO, or we basically put a, a project together and we start rallying a team. And uh, we pitched this idea to a good friend, Mina, who was working at uh, RBC at the time and, and running their, you know, some, a big part of their treasury operations. And uh, we pitched him on it, and he says, I love it. It's like, you know, I, I want to I wanna join you guys. And we're like, OK, great. We have a CTO, and he brought with him a, a great group of devs. Uh, and then um, Anton, who was also uh, very early on, he was a friend that we met through Adam. He was actually one of the first blockchain developers ever. He started out in Toronto working uh, um I think it was Block Geeks. No, it wasn't it wasn't Block Geeks. Um I forget the name of the of the shop, but essentially he was one of the very first theory developers. And so he knew blockchain in and out. Um, he decided to join us. Then Carlos, uh or, or chief compliance was working at BMO. Uh he decides to join us to do compliance. So we're like, okay, we have a solid team um, let's go raise some money. Uh we we got investors that were really willing really to back our, our our project. So we raised our first million dollars and a half. Uh, that was September, 2018.
1: The, the and the investors, no. I, I don't want to control. This is amazing, by the way. This this is great. But I'm just curious that the investors, plus we gave you a chance to take a break. So, but was there pushback? Like how easy was it to raise that initial capital or were there questions still then of what, what you guys were doing? Or like, was it, because in that finance space, were, was there still a lot of people thinking like, what are these guys up to? This is, it was just crypto crap, you know?
2: There, there was a lot of skepticism. Um, because back then there were two types of investors in this space. There was token investors any people that just wanted to flip your token, do an ICO. Yeah. yeah.
0: That was like the ICO era, right? Yeah. Yeah. So
2: there were the guys that wanted you to have a token and that was the only way they would invest in you. And then there was the guys that didn't understand what we were doing. (laughs) So uh, there were just, there were, there were two groups. So we had to educate essentially uh, a group of investors that we knew really well from, from previous careers. They actually, Adam had a really good relationship with them. So they believed in us more so than they believed in Bitcoin. Uh, and so they 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 basically said, we think what you guys are up to is 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 a very interesting, you know, we we were we were both leaving like great careers to come do this. So we were definitely like conv- we had a lot of conviction in what we wanted to build. And so I think this this was in a way really helpful because although they weren't perhaps fully aware of the potential or or what it is that we were we really doing to do, they believed that we were people that you know, that they would be willing to back uh, and that our team and, and the plan that we had in place was, was a project that they would be willing to back. And so with that, um, we after we raised our fees first round, we essentially started building on the platform. We underwrote Canada's first Bitcoin back loan in November 2018. Um, Very and, cool. Uh,
0: Congratulations. That's super cool. Thank you. Cool.
2: And- thank you. Um, so it was actually to a, 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 you know a, a really prominent Bitcoin brokerage at the time. So that kind of uh, let the world know that we existed and 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 that people that are industry experts were interested in using our product. So that was kind of our first introduction to the market in Canada. Um, so from there, uh, our Bitcoin back loan was our first product, and um, from there we started seeing that a lot of our clients that didn't need a loan. Uh, we're very interested in earning interest on their Bitcoin. They they didn't just want to hold it in cold storage. They thought, you know, is there any way that I can put this asset to work so that it could generate something for me? And we started seeing a lot of interest from institutions to borrow some more of Bitcoin that 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 we had. So we said, well, why don't we create a product that lets people earn interest on their Bitcoin, and we essentially lend out the Bitcoin to world-class institutions that can have a use for it and they can pay an interest and then we collect the spread. So we launched the Bitcoin savings account. That was Canada's first Bitcoin savings account too. Uh, and that, that was May, 2019.
0: So, so, so great. So okay, keep going. Cause I have questions about the, about each of what y- your kind of lines of business here, but I don't know if you're just naturally going to describe them. So keep going, keep going.
2: Yeah, no, we can get into them later. And then the, then after we had the savings account, we noticed that a lot of our clients were getting a loan, getting the proceeds, Going to buy more Bitcoin with the proceeds, bring back the Bitcoin, getting another loan, taking those proceeds, going to buy more Bitcoin, and so on and so forth until they hit the minimum loan amount. And uh, after enough time seeing this, we said, okay, people clearly want to use this. We don't, why are we letting like why are we creating this really awkward user experience if that's how they want to use a product? Can we create a product that takes the Bitcoin you have, creates automatically a loan for the same amount and doubles your Bitcoin, keeps the two in our custody? while the loan that we lent you to buy that extra Bitcoin is repaid. And so that became our B2X product in which today is our most popular product. Uh, it's, it's our most popular loan product. And, um, and then from there, we started seeing a lot of clients in Latin America and, and other parts of the world uh, request savings alternatives in stablecoins. And, uh, and, and they, you know, a lot of us are asking to receive the loan disbursements and stable coins. Then they started saying, can I earn interest on these stable coins? And, uh, and we saw, uh, you know, we saw a great opportunity to do that because, you know, we, th- there's a lot of appetite for, for stable coin lending in, in our space. And so we launched a USDC savings account. And um,
0: why, why and- in Latin America, did they want the stable coins Should that if I just think this through, I guess this is just an easier way for them to get out of their local currency.
2: Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is a is a very interesting proposition when it's going up and to the right, right? Uh, but there are times in Bitcoin's cycles where it's flat lines for a little bit or even comes down for a little bit. And it's in these particular periods that people don't like to be, they want to have the option of not having to be all in on Bitcoin. Sure,
0: that makes perfect sense. Yeah, got it. Got it.
2: Yeah, so that was kind of the natural evolution of the products and where we are today. And well, I, I mentioned, you know, I forgot to mention, you know, we, we just recently did two things that we're very proud of. Um, one, we closed an investment round with uh, groups like White Star Capital, Coinbase Ventures, uh, uh, Daryl Holdings, which is a subsidiary of Susquehanna, um, Global Founders Capital, Kingsway Digital, CMT. So, you know, very like a, a really... Uh, you know, we think a roster of, of, of really great investors that, that bring a lot of expertise to the products and the parts of the world we want to go to. And then the other piece that we're equally proud of uh, is where we became the first lender ever to do a proof of reserves at the station. So we work with Armini LLP, they're an accounting and consulting firm out of the US and uh, public accounting. And uh, they basically worked with us to uh, take a look at what we owed clients, you know, what were we doing with those assets, making sure that everything matched and that our assets match our liabilities and they were in excess of. So all of our clients today can actually go in, all of our clients with the balance as of January 31st, they have a a unique hashed ID that they can take to the Arminino website and and basically verify that what they had on the, their balance as at the end of January matches exactly with what Arminino saw and observed during the attestation.
0: Yeah, and I think that's important because I don't know if I'm speaking correctly using the right financial terms here, but I think there's a lot of talk about certain institutions rehypothecating or taking some of the reserves and doing other things with the reserves and you don't really know what's behind the closed door or behind the, you know, behind the curtain there. So that's cool that you guys are doing that. Um, and that's why you're doing that, to answer that question, correct?
2: Yeah, it's really to ensure that we, we hold as much Bitcoin as we say we do and, and as we owe our clients. Really, it, it's about basically coming in, looking at our lending operations, looking at our trading operations, looking at our custody, adding all those three things together and make sure they add up to more than what our clients have on the platform. So it's, it's really about showing that we are able to meet our obligations uh, to our clients.
0: This is the crazy journey. What a story. And this is like, this is like the first inning for you. This is like the first, this is the top of the first for you. This is uh, yeah. So congrats on everything so far. I mean, there's going to be you. a wild, exciting road ahead. And there's a couple of key things, Nick, that just stood out for me when Mauricio was speaking here is that when he said um, in Venezuela how the people were making the trade from the local currency to the U.S. dollars and with those two neighbors or two friends were doing that, it just reminded me of that a country can ban something. So like in a lot of Canadians, Maurizio talked to us and say, well, maybe Canada will ban Bitcoin like that that's kind of fading now but i think 3 months ago that was like really high up there for everybody and 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 i think the way to frame that is that a country can ban bitcoin but bitcoin can't be banned so like yeah. if canada's going to choose not to participate in bitcoin i guess canada could do all kinds of crazy regulations and stuff like that i like i guess they could but you're never going to get bitcoin completely banned because it's so distributed so there's so- always going to be a way Right, And I know you don't want to hear that operating lead. And I'm just throwing that thought out there because I know we get asked that a lot. So I just wanted to address it that you can never really shut this thing down.
2: No, and I think a perfect example to that is the, um, what's happening in the Central Bank of Nigeria. So the Central Bank of Nigeria just came out literally last week and said, you know, they tried to ban it, but there, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was the president of the Central Bank or someone very high up in the Central Bank came out in a press release and said, we, we can't stop it. Like we actually can't, we we can't stop this. We can't regulate it. We can't stop it. Like it's it, even though we want to, there's physically no way to stop it. And uh, and and that's that's essentially what happened in Venezuela. Like the Venezuelan regime tried to make dollars illegal, but you you can't do that. People find a way to basically get in and out of dollars. And if you ban dollars, they'll start buying rice. And if you ban rice, they'll start buying tires and stocking those up. And then if they ban tires, they'll do tuna. And so it's. <laughs>
0: Totally, yeah. So when you hear me say that, because I want to ask you questions about your products, because I know and your services, because I I, I know we have a ton of interest in that. Um, when you hear people say that about banning, but then you have direct exposure to investors who are investing in your business, what are you hearing in those conversations? Is that even a concern anymore in Canada? Because if people are coming to you giving you that type of investment, they must have thought this through.
2: I mean. They have, and and I think to your point, like this this concept of Bitcoin is used for criminals or Bitcoin is used for illicit activity. You you, you can't really say that when, you know, BlackRock is in it and when Tesla has it on its balance sheet and when Square has it on its balance sheet and when the Chicago Mercantile Exchange lists Bitcoin futures and Ethereum futures. Like as, as more of these things happen, it becomes very, very hard to say that. Like we, you have a Norwegian oil company spin, spinning up a Bitcoin infrastructure fund for fifty million dollars. Um, the the things that are happening, you have U.S. bank charter licenses being given to crypto companies. Like it, the, the legitimization of this space is happening in real time, and uh, and I think what governments are trying to grapple with, it's a couple of things. Like <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a big can of worms, but. Most of the restrictions that are out there are trying to prevent people from doing what they want if this goes in the opposite direction of the government. So a perfect example would be the Venezuelan government would not want somebody that does not like their model to sell their farm, to collect dollars, push inflation up and send those dollars to Florida. They don't want that. So they make it hard for you to do that. Um, and, And what that actually is saying is, I don't trust this government, I trust that government. So I'm gonna take it from here and send it to over there. So the governments that are on the receiving end of this capital, which are developed markets, have an implied vested interest in this thing doing its thing.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I never thought because, about it that way. Yeah,
2: because yeah, yeah. It, brings assets else, it brings assets from everywhere else to here. The people that typically have the issue with this is the people whose assets are leaving. And so it's a bit of a game because you're, you're starting to see countries like the U.S. saying, because great. Like, you know, <laughs> bring it on. Like, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, and that's, that probably will continue to happen in markets that are benefiting from this. In um, the markets that are not because, but they're not benefiting from this because they're, they're, they're uh, you know, they're not benefiting from this because they're actually trying to hurt their own people. And their own people are voting with their wallets and saying, We don't like you, we're taking our money out elsewhere. So, what this I think will end up doing is it'll create this competitive competitiveness amongst governments to create an inviting uh, framework without these restrictions. Because the way in the past, the way you've been able to create these things are through punishing, 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 punishing. I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a shift in that countries are going to start now saying, Okay, I wanna lure Bitcoiners. How do I lure Bitcoiners? Let's create a legal framework so you can have a Bitcoin company. Let's create tax breaks for people that come in and hire people to develop blockchain technology. Like let's make ourselves a leader in this space. So this is happening in jurisdictions like Malta, Estonia, like countries that are basically seeing an opportunity Even Portugal. uh, And and even though it's argued the United States, uh, you know, it's a bit dicier down there but it's way clearer than in Canada. Uh, as far as the framework and so it's we always lag
0: up here we always like we like to america to do its thing and then we'll decide after the u.s decides what it's going to do then we kind of copy that's our that's the history of canada's
2: and and you don't become a leader like that no unfortunately uh, and you have to take bold action to become a leader and and uh and i think that won't happen if we just want to wait and copy so, um,
0: well, it's cool that you're doing what you're doing up here. So let's get into it. So the sa- I want to, we're going to start with, we'll end with your most popular product, but the savings product. So for most people, they don't get it. How does this work? Because on your website, it says Bitcoin. If you deposit Bitcoin, you can earn 6% and USDC, 12 and a half percent. Can you just correct. explain Yeah. How does that work? What am I doing? I own some Bitcoin and then what is happening for me to earn this?
2: Of course. So. There's a the simple answer, and then there's a the little bit more complicated answer, or not complicated, but the more detailed answer as to what the mechanics of how it works. In simple terms, you um, you have a Bitcoin that you want to put to work and you want to generate a, some interest in it. You can send it to Letten into your Bitcoin savings account. When we base what we do there is we aggregate bitcoins to an amount that an institution would take, because an institution won't take one bitcoin, two bitcoins; they'll take it in the hundreds of bitcoins, thousands of bitcoins. So we aggregate essentially a clip that is institutional bite size, and we lend it to our institutional lending partners. In this case, it's Genesis Capital. So Genesis is the you know most established institution. They are the guys that are. They own Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, DCG does. And so uh, they own CoinDesk. They have investments pretty much everywhere. So they are the the, uh, institution with the most trajectory and most well-respected in the space. And they publish quarterly lending reports of what they do with their Bitcoin and their activity. So they work with like the top 60 counterparties in the space. And uh, what we do is essentially we take the Bitcoin that we receive and we lend it to Genesis. And Genesis pays us an interest we pay interest to our clients and we take the difference. It's uh, it, you know, it's quite simple. What, how, why are people borrowing Bitcoin? That's probably the follow-on question. Correct. Um, great. There's this huge misconception that people are borrowing Bitcoin just to short it. Uh, like like that is, uh, you can look at the short interest on Bitfinex right now. You can see as a historical low, it's like nobody's shorting Bitcoin right now. You'd be fool to be shorting Bitcoin right now. <laughs> um, so the use case primarily is not to short Bitcoin. It, I mean, that is, there is an element of borrows that goes into that, but is a very small fraction relative to the universe of Bitcoin lending. The majority of the Bitcoin trades would go or still go to market neutral strategies and by market price neutral strategies. And what I mean by that is are strategies that are not dependent on the price of Bitcoin moving in one direction or another and what such trade could that be? So a good example of that would be arming out the premium in a closed Bitcoin fund, in a traded closed Bitcoin fund. So for example, there are funds in Canada that are trading at a discount to their net asset value. So, and there are funds in the U.S. that trade at a premium to their net asset value. So in both of these situations, in a discount situation, you can buy the units, and then redeem the Bitcoin and collect the difference. And or, or in, the pl- in a case where it's trading at a premium, you could contribute the units, convert it, cash out, rebuy the Bitcoin, collect the Delta, right? So in both of those situations, you're in a way Bitcoin price neutral. What, what your variable becomes there is the, the size of the premium or the discount, that, because that can move depending on your lockup periods. To, well, the to-
0: institutional investors are using the Bitcoin coming from you as almost access to some Bitcoin liquidity to then do their institutional maneuvers and stuff that I think we would all like to do, (laughs) but they're doing it at scale. They're doing it at scale and they're kind of arbitraging that price difference and to do it, they need access to some Bitcoin and you're offering that to them. So the deposits that an individual might make gets goes into that pool, you're getting paid a return for that activity. You're, you know, the depositor gets 6% and you're taking the spread.
2: That's correct. And, and what, you know, another uh, price neutral trade that's perhaps maybe a little bit easier to understand is the futures, the, the basis trade on the future. So like the carry basis trade and they call it a carry a carry trade for the following reason. Typically, a Bitcoin, a contract for Bitcoin delivery in June trades at a higher price than Bitcoin today, okay? What you do as a trader, if if say June Bitcoin is, 5% over spot. Well, if it's 5% between now and June, you analyze that. That's 10% gross, right? Um, because you basically have to carry the Bitcoin until you deliver it in June. That's why it's called the carry trade. And so what traders do is they'll say, okay, sell uh, sell future, sell June future, buy spot, sit tight, deliver in June, collect delta." It doesn't really matter what Bitcoin does because it's the, the contracts are, are in Bitcoin terms. So essentially you're hedged in the basis trade and that's why it's a popular trade. So those are the types of activities that typically people borrow Bitcoin to do. The other one is that trade ma- you
0: just described, and I've never done such a thing. That trade you just described seems seems like a very interesting proposition to any trader.
2: But you need massive scale to do this. Yeah, I
0: could see that. So it would be big institutions doing that kind of thing. Yeah. but the traders must be just going nuts on that anyway sorry okay keep going
2: yeah no and that that's really it like in the, the okay. other the, the other the other one is like most large market makers or OTC desks a, a lot of them don't want to hold their balance sheet in all Bitcoin like they'll have a Bitcoin element to it but they're they're, they're a benchmark in dollar terms. so they have to make, make sure that they have visibility on their dollar so they want Bitcoin they want to have thousands of bitcoins for somebody that shows up and says I want to buy I'm going to buy ten thousand bitcoins. I'm going to wire the money now, but I need you to show me that you have the bitcoin at hand. And so, a lot of these guys don't want to carry thousands of bitcoins on balance sheet because of the volatility in their in their in their balance sheet, frankly. And so, what they do is they say, "Hey, I'm going to put this cash as collateral and borrow this bitcoin because I know what I'm going to. Basically, I'm hedged if bitcoin prices goes down, right? Because I already put this collateral. You're not going to you're not going to margin call me when I, when bitcoin price go down. You're going to margin call me if bitcoin price goes up." So in a way, you hedge yourself from the volatility of holding Bitcoin on your balance sheet if you're using it just as inventory, right? And so that's another big use case for, for Bitcoin borrow.
1: Okay, got it.
0: And then as the end user, Nick, I'm going to keep going. Jump in if you need to. Yeah, as, no, as the cool. end user, I then am giving up my keys, right? Like I don't have control. It's going, it's going into your custody. I know you said you're audited, right? Which is very comforting. But that is something that everybody should know that's part of the process right and it's it's yeah. it's like any other kind of i don't know if i want to call it a bank account but your savings account any like bank account i can take it back at, at, at any time is that how it works
2: that is correct that is correct and yes we are a custodial service so you would be essentially giving us control of your keys while you're using our services
0: okay and then and in the 6% if i give you bitcoin am i paid that 6% in bitcoin
2: yes everything oh. is in bitcoin calculated in bitcoin terms
0: oh, okay and then the usdc example if i give you bitcoin am I paid in USDC if I choose that? Or no, I'm giving you USDC to be paid in USDC.
2: Yeah. So each account gets paid in its native currency. Okay. Got and it. For some reason, I wasn't currency. clear. Thank you. Okay. That's a request we get often. And it's not something that we're building right now. Is people that, are, you know, they have a Bitcoin Bitcoin balance. but want to get their interest paid in USDC or their USDC balance, their interest, they want to convert it into Bitcoin. So one of the pieces that we're working on right now actually is the trade feature within LetIn. So you Once you get paid your dollars, you can go in and buy your Bitcoin if you choose. And if you get paid your Bitcoin and you want to go to dollars, you'll be able to do that at in as well.
0: Okay. And then the interest rate in USDC is just higher at 12.5% instead of 6% because the the trades are making that much of our money. We don't have to go into the details, but I guess just similar things to you described, it's just the interest rates are much higher.
2: Yes, because you can use dollars to buy more Bitcoin. And so that is what a lot of people want right now. And that's yeah. why the demand, to, to, the demand for dollars Got is... It. predominantly to buy more Bitcoin. And that is a thirst that is very hard to quench right now.
0: Got it. So you can charge the higher rate because the demand isn't like, I don't want to say insatiable, but it's incredible for that. Got it. Ha ha. Makes sense. It's not
2: insatiable, but it's pretty close. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess for some individuals, it might be insatiable. Okay. And then on your website. So, so I give up custody to the key of my keys to you, but I can take them back at any time. And that's just from logging into my account. I can say, I want to take my Bitcoin back and then I guess the interest payments cut off. Do I have to wait to the end of a month or something like that? Like, is there a minimum no, time no. frame for that?
2: No, no. You can withdraw at any time. You could just go into your website and submit a withdrawal. Uh, very similar to how you, how you send the money in, or how you send the Bitcoin into let in. You Basically, you see your balance. You have the option to essentially withdraw. You put in your destination address and off you go.
0: Okay. And then who is BitGo?
2: Bitgo is the world's first qualified custodian in the U.S. or in the world, really, to custody digital assets. So um, they are um, probably the most uh, most established custodian in the space. Um, and that's
0: who you use to custody. Is that like the, the Bitgo is the custodial service that Ledin uses?
2: Yes, we don't custody uh, Bitcoin or USDC directly. We use a third-party custodian, uh, regulated, fully registered custodian in the U.S. And uh, that's where, so when you send your Bitcoin to your Ledin savings account, it lands at BitGo Cold Storage. Uh, At BitGo Cold Storage, then we basically aggregate all the Bitcoin, as I mentioned, to kind of like the institutional bite size, and then we then tranche it off to our institutional partners. Okay,
0: and this might be a very naive question, so I apologize in advance, but when you're audited for the amount of Bitcoin that you have on hand, is it then auditing Ledin or BitGo?
2: It's, It's Ledin's account at BitGo, it's, le- it's okay. basically Lennon's lending agreements. It's Lenn's, Lenn's, you know balances in any active partner. Anywhere we have Bitcoin or USDC, they'll have to look at it.
0: Okay, got it. And then if I want to borrow from you, what? It, how does that work? And what's the loan to, you know, the, I guess I'm just thinking in real estate terms, but map it out for me. How much do I have to give you to, to get it? What's the loan to value? How does that, that work if I want to borrow from you? If I come to you with one Bitcoin, what do I get back or use any example you'd like?
2: Yeah, definitely. So let's just say, let's use Bitcoin today trading at 50K. So our loans go out at 50% loan to value. So if you have a Bitcoin today that's worth $50,000 and you come to let in, you can borrow $25,000. And what you do is you essentially send the Bitcoin to your loan address. That's where it stays as collateral while the loan remains open. We will wire you the dollars within 24 hours or USDC. And you have a one-year term to pay it. And uh, you can repay at any time. There's no early repayment penalties. We don't ask you to send monthly interest payments. All the interest payments and fees are collected until the day you choose to repay. Um, and, uh, and our interest rate is 1% per month. Uh, you only pay interest for the days you have the loan open and we have a 2% origination fee.
0: Okay. Got it. And so then you don't pay the interest payments every month. You just pay when you want to get your Bitcoin or your collateral back. Correct. So when I want my Bitcoin back and you're holding the keys that, so it's like, I better pay. Otherwise I'm not getting this thing back.
2: Yeah, that's the security that we have. To of course, level. no, make, yeah, that, so.
0: that, that makes sense. And then if the value, and then when do I get called for more collateral? Is there a percentage? Like if the Bitcoin yeah. price drops, when does that call happen? And how much time do I have to react?
2: Yes, so the call happens when LTV reaches 70%. So that equates to about a 29% drop on the spot price of Bitcoin from when you got it. Um, that's when the first uh, requirement for additional collateral goes out. We send another one at 75% LTV, and if we don't receive any Bitcoin or if the system doesn't receive any Bitcoin in the system and LTV reaches 80%, then the system goes into selling the necessary amount of Bitcoin to repay the loan and then return whatever balance remains to the client.
0: Okay. So then about a month ago, when Bitcoin had about a 30% drop, I want to say in US dollars, from a, it went from 40 something to like third, right around 30 or 29. That must have been an interesting time then for you.
2: Yeah, right. but I, I, I'm happy to say this. So far this year, we've had no liquidations. Uh, you know, all of our clients are, have stayed on top of their loans. We are very proactive. The last thing we want is to close loans and, and to and to basically have this happen to our clients because we sure. obviously we make money off of loans and cl- everybody comes to us because they don't, they want more Bitcoin, not less. <laughs> so we do our best essentially to make sure that we're giving our clients as much notice as we can and making the process as intuitive and as simple as we can during the situation, so what we've started doing is in, in in volatile market conditions, our clients that are that are having loans with LTVs that are getting even close to that, we start sending them a loan management email. So that it's basically a play by play on how to top up your loan before, or after, or during a margin call. Basically, it, it, it's a it's it's a bit of a primer on how to protect yourself. And uh, and our clients are really smart, you know. Uh, it, I'll say getting to the point where you understand the value of not selling your bitcoin and that taking dollars that's a that's a rather you know uh i would say not the simplest thing to get through and when you do that you have a pretty decent understanding of of how this thing works so you you basically we you, we, we want to give them all the tools that they may need to essentially protect themselves yeah got it yeah.
0: So when I'm just I'm just kind of thinking out loud. So if the price was dropping, I'm getting alerts from you. So basically, it's like any situation. You just don't want to borrow where you have no liquidity in your life. That if it was to drop, you can't come up with more collateral on that. And I use the example of one Bitcoin. That it doesn't. Is there a minimum to borrow? Could you put? Could you borrow five thousand dollars? One thousand? Is there a minimum on the borrowing?
2: Yeah, so we our loans start at $500. So the lowest you could take oh, wow. would be okay. putting putting up $1,000 worth of Bitcoin to take out uh,
0: $500. It's almost a good way for someone to learn if they've never done this and never, you know, put something up. Like, it, it, you know, it might be a good way to get into it. I'm sure someone's going to hate me for saying that they borrow their, you know, but, but, no, just just,
1: but to understand the because I'm yeah. sitting here, the reason I've been quiet for 20 minutes because I'm just sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking about this and it's just. You know, from the outside looking in, as someone that really <laughs> I know what you're going to say. I just really got into it. You know, about a year ago, right? That really started investigating the space. Was aware of it, kind of glanced at it a little bit, but to see the infrastructure that's being built out around the, in this space, it's 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 pretty Like it's mind-boggling. Like the speed, and and I think that's one of the things that that you know we. Uh, I, f- I forget when we first kind of heard of this or how we started coming about, we're like, there's so much, not just smart money, but smart people going into the space. So like yourself, Maurizio, like when, you know, yourself and the people that you surround yourself, the good team you 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 found and all the guys that you were, uh, you know, in, in Toronto and elsewhere that you were kind of working with early on, it's like, there's all this brain power going in to build up this thing. It's, 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 it's the amount of resources that are focused in this area is mind boggling. And you can see as to why the value of this area, it's not just the price of Bitcoin, right? Which is, which is, and I know we're in the middle of the having cycle and there's all, you know, all this stuff going on, but with that much resource and power being put towards it, there's some logic to why the value is where it is. It's not just this, it's nothing. It's the value of the human capital and the knowledge that's being put into it is being transferred and kept in, in that asset. You know, that's the way I look at it. So listening to you, I was just, yeah, my mind was just thinking about all this different stuff. It, it's- we're, it's really we're, we're
0: witnessing the evolution, the, the, the construction of a brand new financial system in front of our eyes. Like we're literally, we're talking to Maurizio here at Lenin Sorry, Maurizio, we're talking about you like you're not here now, <laughs> but like we're, to, we're but it's, it's like we're witnessing the, the birth of a brand new financial system. And then there's these gateways that go between the old system and the new system. Like it, well, it's, it, And I know some, me, some people listening are going to think, Tom, you're completely lost it. The old system is not going away. And I'm like, eh, I'm not so sure about that. Well, maybe it doesn't go away, but it changes. It definitely changes.
2: Let me blow your mind for a second. So as a Colombian client, before Bitcoin, if you wanted to access credit, the only way you could access credit was through a Colombian lender because a Colombian lender would need to take either security on an asset that you had or unsecured credit history on your Colombian SIN number or your Colombian X. That doesn't exist, by the way, outside of uh, uh, developed markets. There is no credit score for unsecured credit. It's either you have assets and you know people at the bank or you don't and you don't get a loan. Um, bitcoin for the first time ever allowed a person in colombia or canada or brazil to essentially have an asset that a lender anywhere in the world can take security on and finance we uh, the 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 best part of my job of my job is when i get questions or, or comments from people that reach out to us clients directly that say you are the first loan I've ever been approved for. To me, that's everything. Like that is everything. And um, if you look around, most of our competitors start loans at $10,000, $5,000. In Mexico, you can buy a house with the amount of collateral you need to take out. loan. So the $500 was very much by design because we wanted this product to be inclusive beyond investor markets. Uh, if we took this product to Mexico and we had a $10,000 minimum loan, people would be like, great, but I'm not well, you know, Warren Buffett. Like, you know, I, I, can't, I, can't, I don't have $20,000 worth of Bitcoin. If I did, I would buy a house. And so we needed to make these products more usable for people that really, really needed them, right? Like a Canadian person that has, like, Canadians have ample options to finance. It's North America's all the ones you want. Somebody in Colombia that is trying to collect savings because they want a better future for themselves and doesn't have access to fixed income or stock or anything and then it's slowly starts chipping away 50 bucks at 50 bucks they get to a thousand bucks a $500 loan from Leninist can be life-changing like you know and so to us that is incredibly fulfilling um, and the other piece that sounds crazy is that one of the things we wanted to do from very early on was to make this product available to like no, I don't, want to, I don't want to say my people, but like Latin Americans, like people that we, we knew were suffering from inflation left, right, and center, and like their whole lives revolve around escaping inflation. When this is happening to you, you have no time to learn English. You have no time to go and read the white paper. You're too busy trying to figure out you can basically make do. And so when you're putting a financial product together, money is really scary. Like, Technology and money are both very scary things for a lot of people. A lot in a lot of places in the world, it is, it's, you know, it, it's not something that a lot of people comes that comes natural to a lot of people. So what we did, we said, well, if we want people in those markets to really actually be able to use this product, it has to be in their language. Like it has to be in a format that they can comprehend and understand. That legal agreements, customer support, the whole thing has to be in Spanish. The whole thing has to be in Portuguese. And so we invested very, very heavily from day one in doing that. And that's the big reason why today we you know we are the dominant lender in Latin America and Canada. And, uh, and, and, you know, we, we want to continue to double down in that part of the world because we see a huge amount of potential there.
1: Do you have, so your yeah, operations awesome. are only in Canada or do you actually have any operations in Latin America? Like as so, far as like physically, like, I guess, do you have an as an entity set up there?
2: Right now we, we, we basically operate of our Canadian entity, but we are doing some restructuring on that just to be able to, more, uh, Be more agile and, and basically be able to c- uh, cater to regulators in different parts of the world more effectively. So we're doing a little bit of, of restructuring on the entities that, that make up Lenin uh, to basically optimize for that. But today, we basically serve everybody out of Canada.
1: So in theory, then, so not in theory, but so you don't need an entity in those areas to lend to those people.
2: So it, it's so that varies. So regulations vary product by product, market oh, by okay. market, okay. country, some, by, country, country yeah. by country, country by country. So there are places in the world, for example, in the US, we don't offer our b 2 B2X loan. Uh, in states in the US, we don't offer certain products like New York, no products. We can't do that yet. Um, in Texas, we can't offer our stablecoin savings account. So it varies really region by region. And wow. there are some restrictions.
1: How much red tape do you deal oh, with on a gosh. regular basis?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We a lot. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> okay, so talk to us about, uh, sorry, are you still okay for time? We can move on quickly here. I need yeah, to. Yeah, I
2: have a stop at 4.30. Okay, so
0: it. let's keep going. So this BTX, your most popular product, can you describe that one? You alluded to it earlier, but can you please
1: describe it?
2: Yeah, for sure. So B2X is a product that came up or, or was developed as a result of what we saw our clients, what our clients wanted or were doing with our loan products. Uh, a, 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 big, uh, a big chunk of loans that are backed by Bitcoin are, are from people that would like to use the loan proceeds to buy more Bitcoin uh, because they don't feel like, they, they feel like they don't have enough. And and so they, they plan themselves properly to your point, uh, Tom, but essentially what happens is say, you know, say Tom, you have, I don't know, ten Bitcoin. You you like where the market is. You 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 think you you, you think it's ready to run higher, uh, but you don't. You know, but you want to basically do a, a, a you want to participate in this potential move. So you say, okay, I'm going to take one of my Bitcoins. I'm going to send it to Ledin. Um, They basically will lend me the dollar value that the, the entire dollar value that my whole Bitcoin is worth today. They'll buy a second Bitcoin, and then I will have two Bitcoin at Ledin, and an outstanding loan for $50,000, plus, you know, whatever, interest and fees. So what what you would want to happen, obviously, as part of you uh, participating in that position is you would want Bitcoin prices to rise. So let's say Bitcoin goes to $100,000, right? Well, your collateral for that loan is worth $200,000 now. And the loan amount doesn't really change because the loan that we lent you hasn't changed. We just, we we always lent you uh, $50,000. So in a month's time or two months time, when your collateral is worth $2, $200,000, you can turn around and say, hey, in I'd like to repay those 50K and get my excess Bitcoin back. And so we say, great, Tom, we need a half of a Bitcoin right now. So uh, you have two. So we'll take half of your Bitcoin and off you go with one and a half Bitcoin. So in essence, you went in with one Bitcoin, you walked out with one and a half Bitcoins
0: and i can see why people I, I can see why people really want to do that because if you're sold on the price now there's the other side of this coin that we should talk about the situation the down which yes. we kind of alluded to in the other in the other case that you have to be aware of but if you convince yourself that it's going to go up and you can survive any downs you know decreases in price and then re-collateralize if the call comes in from in saying hey you got to put up more collateral because it's is it the same situation if the price comes down so let's talk about that other case 100% price, come, price comes down And then you're like, you have to collateralize so that the loan to value stays at the same ratio, correct?
2: Correct. You have to bring your loan to value out of 70, right? Like you have to send enough Bitcoin so that you're not in this 70 to 80, uh, request for additional collateral, uh, basically the the situation. So what happens is say you got it at $50,000, uh, right. You you got your loans, you have a $50,000 loan backed by a hundred thousand dollars worth of collateral, right. That's day one. Your collateral drops by thirty percent, right? So your your Bitcoin's worth seventy k. We lent you fifty. It's getting really close to to what we lent you. So we'll tell you bring it back to bring it back to one hundred. Like bring the collateral back to one hundred. Send that additional thirty so that your collateral value is one hundred and the loan still fifty, right? So if you're able to do that, then your loan is becomes healthy again. And you basically you know you you. You can do another 30% down and potentially have to re-collateralize again, or if it bounces, then you're good to go, essentially. You, you, your loan is in a, in a good standing when you've re it. And the, um, uh,
0: and, and the minimum for that type of loan product is the same, like $500, $500. $500 worth? Wow, right. you know what's interesting? So you said that that loan amount is low on purpose to serve a lot of people around the world. So you have a very, you know, uh, you know, it's a really principled approach to what you're doing here. On the flip side to that, I would, I'm just thinking of some Canadians who this is brand new to. That low loan amount really makes it interesting to try you out. I could see someone like myself and Nick saying, okay, this seems crazy. It seems too good to be true. Maurizio seems like a good guy. (laughs) Lennon seems like it's a good Canadian company. I'm going to go crazy and give the full $500 minimum. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Just just to like, how does this work? Let me ride this through and say, okay. And then I I could see myself even taking it back from you guys. Okay. Give it back. You know, Put it in the savings account. Okay. Give it back to me. Did I get it back and calling Nick? Nick, Nick, I think I, yeah, I think they're legit. They they gave me the Bitcoin back. Like I could see a little bit of that comfort because it's so new.
2: It happens all the time. Does like it? <laughs> we, we, we see it all the time. Like, uh, the people will send uh, Bitcoin, a request a withdraw same day just to see what the processing times are. Um, we see guys come in at five hundred dollars, uh, B two X. You know, a month goes by, they repay it, and then and then they start. Yeah, it. then they come in. Then, then they come in large. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. like the, the 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 progression has been. You know historically so far has been really positive like people come in and that to us tells us that the product resonates right like if, if we were seeing the opposite like if we were seeing people churn and become one-time users then the product something's off with the product but actually most most of our clients on average do more than one b2x
0: wow Wow. Okay. And, and I think it's just the appropriate time for everyone listening is, you know, you have to do your own research for this. You have to yes. make sure you have enough collateral. This is, this is advanced stuff that we're talking about here. This isn't some cool way to get rich quick. Or something like this is, you know, you need to study this. You need to have comfort. You need to be in the financial situation to pull it off. And Maurizio, I know you agree with that. I just feel I, I would hate for anyone listening to this who does not know us to think, oh, this is like some easy way to make money. No, 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 there's always risks. Just as you said, the price could come down tomorrow. We, we don't know. We have our beliefs and I'm sure our beliefs are pretty in line, Maurizio, with your beliefs, but uh, you never know, right?
2: No, and we like to be very, very transparent about that. Like the last thing we want, as I said, is to have somebody that didn't understand the product to become, you know, overly, uh, you know, get stuck in a situation where they did too much. They can't really manage it, and then they're gonna walk out with a crappy product experience or a, you know, a crappy user experience. So that we try to protect ourselves about that. We don't like scaring people. We don't like telling people, "Hey, you know, this is good." Like we we like to be transparent and pragmatic about the potential benefits and the potential risks, and then you can make your own decision and plan yourself accordingly. A lot of this is not necessarily, uh, you know, many of these situations when, when things don't go as planned, it's not that the product is broken, is that the planning wasn't done properly. You, 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 over, you overdid the amount that you could have done, you, you could have taped, you know, you, you could have essentially prepared yourself for a bad case scenario. Most people just look up. Uh, It's it's important to to be able to look down and say, okay, am I okay if this happens? Will I I be okay? Will I I be able to recover from, you know, having to recollateralize a loan or having to do X? Um, We have people, that's funny, like so people find really creative ways to use our products. We have people that um, essentially take out Bitcoin back loans and they send enough Bitcoin to their savings accounts so that their Bitcoin interest is offsetting their loan interest. (laughs) So it's, and and, and when they have it in the savings account, it's basically ready to be sent to re-collateralize if needed because intra-Lennon transfers are free. Uh, And so in in high volume situations, what happens is the network gets very congested. It becomes very hard for you to send Bitcoin from one address to the other. Even if you're paying a ton of money, it just won't get confirmed. When you have your Bitcoin at Lennon and you're sending it from your savings account to your loan, that doesn't go through the chain. That gets done way faster and for free. So uh, most of our clients, we let them know this is part of this loan management email, is that the, the best way to top up your loan in a high volatility situation is from your savings account.
0: It is a brand new world, Nick.
1: Holy yeah yeah, it, shit, the, man, it it just it's just what you said, just like the example he, world. Well, just the example he showed right there about what someone's doing between the two accounts. It just shows the opportunities that are available. yeah. well, but, and I, you know, I think
0: some purists in the world would freak out on that statement because they're like, well, what do you mean I can do it? Then it's not where it's not on the blockchain somewhere. Like the, I'm sure Maritza, you deal with that kind of comment, correct?
2: No, I mean, at, at the beginning, more so than now. Um, you know, I think uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the OGs uh, communities, yeah, uh, it's, it's funny, a lot of them are actually clients. Uh, and if you look at our website and you look at the testimonials, a lot of the guys that are there are, they're not your keys, not your coin kind of guys, but they they get. So like, in what universe do you not borrow against a reserve asset?
0: Yeah, I you know I get A
2: reserve it. asset, and that's part of why we were so infatuated with this idea of lending back by Bitcoin, because we said, reserve assets are collateral like that's what they are they the are the best meant collateral be. yeah yeah and, and it, bitcoin it,
0: it, is the is, is the most pristine best collateral of anything any of us have ever seen i don't know if it's robert breedlove who had mentioned on the podcast i can't remember who said it to me but it's the apex predator of collateral let's face it it is
2: yeah. It is. And, and God bless Michael Saylor for popularizing Bitcoin back loans. i, I yeah. forever that yeah, yeah, yeah. he's, he's putting everybody
0: to shame. Can you imagine he was it. listening to this and I'm talking about a $500 test? Okay, I just want to test this with $500, but we can all be our own Michael Saylor, I guess. There you go. And,
2: and, and that's exactly it. It's, 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 I know it sounds a little bit crazy and perhaps a little bit far-fetched, but you're borrowing, you're using your Bitcoin to get liquidity to buy more Bitcoin. That is this, that type of product was available only for incredibly sophisticated institutions not too long ago, and today it's a product that can be accessed by millions of people all over the world. Uh, and in the right hands, and if used properly, it can unlock a world of wealth.
0: Nick, anything else to ask before we wrap up here?
1: No, I don't know. I think that kind of sums yeah. it up. Maurizio, thank you so much.
0: Yeah, um, that was the, really interesting. Yeah, really interesting. We're pumped for you to be doing what you're doing. If there's anything we can do ever, please reach out. Um, I'm sure our audience is going to love listening to this. I'm sure there's going to be follow-up questions. We might bug you to come back at some, but we'll give you a few months. I know you're a little bit busy. <laughs> we'll give you some time. I might bug you, but thank you for sharing your story. Not only your story just helps kind of frame all of this. So thank you for sharing all that. If anyone listening to this, the URL is ledn.io. So leadin.io um, and, and you can set up an account. It looks like on your website, Nick and I have not done this yet, but I think on your account it says you can set up an account, is it same day almost?
2: A few minutes. Uh, if you have your ID handy and a, a smartphone or a computer with a camera, it takes probably less than five minutes.
0: Very cool, Maurizio. Nick, is, that's it. Were you going to say something? Yeah, no. This is what I'm doing on this this weekend. I got to try it out now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to see the $500 deposit and yeah, yeah, sure. Who are these guys,
2: Nick and Tom? $500 in. $500? No, no, no I'll go big. Tom, do it again. 501.
0: Why? Yeah, do it again, Nick. <laughs> do it again. Do we get it back again? Did we get it?
2: Yeah. No, I, I look forward to it. And also, please, if you guys once you do that, if you have any feedback, and and same goes to everyone listening, like that's how we get better is through feedback. So please don't be shy, uh, ping us. Uh, if, you, if there's products you'd like to see from us, if there's uh, things that we could be doing better, uh, th- things you want to see more of us uh, do, uh, please feel free to reach out.
0: Maurizio, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate this. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're so busy. We'll do this again at some point. Take care. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so Thanks, much. Hey, everybody. So hopefully you enjoyed that episode with Maurizio. Fascinating story, just his own personal story, and then what's happening with Ledin. Ledin, again, is L-E-D-N.io. You can check them out there. And if you want any information from us, you can get our app at ylytapp.com. That's ylytapp.com for all the different real estate information that we're putting out. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.